give us a little introduction. Tell me about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Is that a Nirvana shirt you're wearing? No, it's Yahweh shirt. <laughs> so, so but never us, mind that. Never mind that. Tell us who you Just are. Stole your joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us who you are and what you do, so we know who you are. All right, I'm David Lee Brown, and um, I just love Jesus, man. I got saved out of atheism in my mid-20s and uh, after growing up in the church, and I just fell completely head over heels, crazy in love with the Lord, and uh, I asked him many years ago, like, God, I just want a job where I can talk to you and read the Bible all day. And so now all these years later, my wife and I direct the house of prayer that's six years old in San Antonio. Um, we've been a part of the house of prayer movement in many different ways um, since I've been saved. It's just, it makes sense day and night worship because he's eternally beautiful and his beautiful is just magnificent. And so it's, a, it, it's the only thing that made sense because to me, even as an atheist thinker, one of the things that led me into that was just seeing what I would call the hypocrisy of the church of seeing plainly you know I grew up in the church so you see the costly call of the gospel and I spent years like hearing that washed away hmm. and so even as an atheist I knew in my rejection of Christianity that it's it's either all or nothing you can't do this ride the fence thing and so I saw most people doing the ride the fence thing and that just declared to me that wasn't real it's not a real religion and um, anyway, the Lord changed my mind in beautiful ways. And uh, it, the prayer movement just made sense because day and night affection just started resting on my own heart. And when I found like there's a corporate expression of what I'm experiencing as an individual, it's a no brainer. It's like, I'm all into that. Just, it makes sense. It's like a, the fullest expression of the all in, and you know, everything swirls within that the missions and the work of the kingdom, all to purify a people that be a kingdom of priests to offer God spiritual sacrifices. So, this is a beautiful thing. So, he's answered that. And so, there's you know, elements of leading a ministry, but I still feel like <laughs> I get you know, full time, I get to just talk to God and read the bible and he threw in that like singing and playing music too so i'm like oh extra fun it's all just <laughs> it's cool and and there's other things that go into it but that's really the meat and and the heart of why i do what i do of just you know i'm his inheritance and so i'm gonna position myself there before him to serve him and then he's my inheritance like we're married or something it's a beautiful thing beautiful man so we're doing a series of interviews and videos talking about the experiences of different cities doing 10 days of prayer because we're just mm -hmm. trying to show what it looks like to do 10 days in your city and um you've been doing 10 days in san antonio working with various leaders in the city since 2016 i believe so you guys have, sure. you guys have quite a history we'll go with that <laughs> I don't so know I, stuff, so I, I know it's been a few years, but I, I don't remember. Our, I know I, we had our first year. I just don't remember which year. That which was. one it was, exactly. I just remember because it was our first summit, and um, I remember that. That's where I met you in Denver. Um, but I wondered if we could maybe start just kind of from that moment, connecting in Denver, 2016, um, 
And um, God was doing something in that meeting that we were in, in terms of unity. And there was a real, I felt like an expression of John 17. We just, it wasn't a big group. We had maybe 15, 15 people somewhere around that leaders mm -hmm. from around the country, but there was kind of an unusual love and anointing for unity. Um, maybe just talk to me a little bit about what you experienced at that time, your own journey with, with Jesus prayer and John 17, how that's been lived out in your life. And yeah, I don't know. That's a vague question. Sorry. I felt like it sounded better in my head before I said it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought it sounded great, man. Um, <laughs> as far as the John 17 thing, um, when my wife and I started the house of prayer, we're not actually from San Antonio. Um, I have a history in the city that goes back before me been being born that has to do with my <laughs> my conception. I, I won't bore you with those details. <laughs> this is getting spicy. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't move to San Antonio until 2010. We're from uh, Southeast Florida and Georgia, and then the military sent us to Montana. We're in San Antonio. Um, and something had happened where our previous church shut down. We were both on staff there and uh, we were just heartbroken over what happened, but still all into the prayer movement. And we felt it was time to move into, you know, let's do the house of prayer thing. Tired of doing church is normal. Let's go find a house of prayer. We were moving out of the city and making plans to do that. We're getting our house ready to sell. And the Lord really just brought us into a unity of pastors in San Antonio to begin the house of prayer um, upon their blessing and spiritual support. And so when we started it, I couldn't deny the unity that brought forth the house of prayer, but then me personally, I'm like a Wesleyan holiness guy. And so the ideas of unity in my mind equal compromise. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really wrestling with the Lord because I can't, you know, just bite the hand that feeds me, you know, like the, we started in unity and what am I going to do when I started like, no. <laughs> and so it just, I didn't know what to do with it. And I remember asking the Lord, like, man, how much, of your righteousness do we compromise to unify with our brothers and sisters because again unity equals compromise in my mind and uh, he just took me back to his prayer in john 17 and told me pretty plainly i prayed john 17 i can answer my own prayer without compromising my standards and i had no clue but it just it gave me grace and set me free in that moment of like, okay, I don't got to figure this out right now. I just have to put one foot in front of the other and pursue this mm -hmm. unity thing. And um, I've really seen him actually be able to answer his own prayer in our city and across the nation um, without compromising his standards. And this is the beauty of using prayer to unify is because it's become really just the great crucible for our unity that brings a purity and a righteousness. Um, as we're growing in fervent love for one another. And so it's been a beautiful thing to watch these last six years. Um, the Lord actually do it <laughs> when, you know, he's really smart and uh, he can bring this to pass. But um, 10 days came into San Antonio because there was some other leaders wanting to rally around revival cry for our city. And out of that came a small meeting of just meeting one another and like, yeah, revival's good. We should want it for our city. And and that's where I met Alan Parker, uh, Pete Ortega and some different guys in the city. Um, but that had just formed 
when I think you had gotten in contact with Alan Parker uh, and came down here to meet with him and cast the vision. And so I immediately jumped on it and loved the 10 days because of this reason as a pastor and especially a pastor that has a prayer ministry, prayer initiatives are like white noise. They're constantly just <laughs> coming and going. It's like, here's this one, here's this one, here's this one, here's this one. I still have probably like 3000 emails in my inbox. And it's like, there comes a tipping point where it's just like, man, I can't keep up with it all. And so I need people to help me like engage in different areas. And we got to be really specific with what we participate. But I love 10 days because it establishes a rhythm. So I would like to, as a leader in my city, cut past that white noise and establish regular rhythms of unity, prayer, and consecration as a city. Um, and so that they become, you know, established things where we expect every year we're doing the 10 days. Every month, our day of prayer is coming up for America Praise. And having rhythms in your city, um, much like your own, your feast days, so to speak. And having right, those right. rhythms established. And so that's the reason that uh, I was really excited to get on board with it, because it's not something that was going to go away after we were done doing it. But if we stayed faithful in it, it becomes something established in our city. Um, and so I remember going to the first summit um, with that John 17 thing being already new in my spirit and, you know, just at ease with the Lord can handle it. I'm not going to worry so much about it. Um, I remember being a really refreshed by a lot of the teaching and the perspectives that you guys were bringing in the summit as I begin to see like, wow, these are serious people, sober-minded people that love the Lord, that love righteousness, that love grace, that love truth. And I begin to take note of these things that it's like, hey, this isn't a compromising gathering at all. This is a beautiful thing. <laughs> and uh, just even in the context of that, being able, being able to have fun and um, get to know everyone at a, at a whole new level that just, there was a knit and a bond of love that was just, the seed there was just sowed in my heart that's kept me coming back to the summit and just wanted to continue into relationship with you guys, but then also build and foster that in the city. And so during the summit, um, I actually experienced that unity I feel like for the first time in my life of just the brothers and the sisters coming together and it just begins with falling in love with one another, honoring one another, um, that creates room for so much more like beauty. And so I remember being wounded by, man, the unity was such a beautiful thing. How do I take this back to San Antonio and just being overwhelmed at, you know, I just experienced this beautiful thing in the summit. How do I get the, the leaders here to, to understand, like, we're not just going through a program, like the spirit of this is weighty. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, how, how do we capture that? And, uh, so we've just, in small ways, just stayed faithful, even when it looks dumb, just stay faithful, don't quit. And uh, we've done 10 days, a few different ways in the city. But having it be an established part of our city rhythm, we've really seen that unity and that bond of love. So my heart cry, um, you know, when five or six years ago when we did the first 10 days um, was like, man, I, I 
just remember feeling the frustration, even the first couple of years of the unity's not there. People are showing up for a program and there's a general sense of like, yeah, we'll pray together. But the faithfulness through the years has created the context for the relationships to deepen as love um, deepens between us. And so mm -hmm. it's just, it's been an absolute delight. And so um, the unity amongst a lot of the pastors and key leaders and, and uh, like boots on the ground fathers, not uh, fathers of the city, as you would think as an outsider looking in the city, but someone from within that sees the people who work in the city, like our boots on the ground fathers coming together in unity. It's just been, I'm still just shocked, but I'm delighted as much as I am shocked. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, the 10 days this year. Um, just, it's a beautiful thing, but it, the spirit of it continues on in our city. That's awesome. So I remember reading Jesus prayer in John 17, you know, and being very stirred by it, being kind of amazed, like, wow, one as the father is one with the son, human beings, let them be one, realizing the father's going to answer Jesus's prayer. But it's something completely different to actually have an experience where you actually get to taste it a little bit, because mm -hmm. um, it goes from being it's like you're reading a like you've never seen a car, you've never heard about a car, you know, and you're reading a book about how there's these amazing machines that have four wheels and they drive from place to place. And, um, you know, you're trying to, wow, what would that be like if I could, instead of walking, you know, drive? What, what, you know, you're reading about it, you've never seen it. Um, my first experience of that came in 2007 when we did our one of our first 10 days in Northfield. And I just remember looking around the room at everybody there, a very diverse group. Not a lot of people knew each other coming in. And I was like, why do I irrationally love these people? It was yeah. like this. <laughs> and, but they all felt the same. It was this incredible love that was supernatural. It was unlike anything I'd ever known. And it just occurred to me, oh, we're experiencing a measure of what Jesus prayed for. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds like you had a similar experience um, and even that that is continuing to grow within a citywide context. That's ultimately what we want to see is, you know, citywide churches loving each other, um, exhibiting, you know, becoming the answer to Jesus's prayer. Um, how do you feel like prayer, like an environment of prayer fosters, because those would initially seem like two different things, you know, loving each other, and praying together. What, what's the connection between prayer and love for one another that you see? Because one doesn't necessarily lead to the other. They're not, you know, just as you initially think about it. Yeah, um, I think it creates the context for us to bear one another's burdens. And so in places of prayer, you begin to hear places like deep places of the hearts of individuals that you're praying with. Um, the things that they're crying out for, for our city, for them as an individual, for our nation, for the globe, um, you, you begin to get a glimpse of who they are, like how they worship the Lord. Do they worship the Lord? Um, are they filled with thankfulness and contentment? Um, are they broken over the things that they should be broken over? Like, you know, we all in, in our circles, we constantly hear the phrase because I someone sung it. I don't know who initiated it, but you know, the, oh, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I love that. I love the principle, but does it really? And I think the place of prayer really reveals that. And when you see the beauty 
of the way the different people's hearts move in the place of prayer, it just draws you near to them. And it, it creates this atmosphere for like even a healing bond to come into place. Uh, when my f- wife and I were first married, I was not saved for the first seven years. And this December will be our 18 year wedding anniversary. Um, but growing up, um, a slave to just all kinds of addiction, um, I really forfeited my ability to bond to my parents, my siblings, and to friends. Like people were just constantly objects in my mind. And so when I got married to my wife, I mean, she was, I still had this objectified um, relationship with her. Um, and even after Christ, like the Lord began to bring healing. But in these last several years, um, what I've noticed the most is learning how to communicate, to talk, even through difficult times and tough circumstances, creates a whole new dynamic of intimacy that actually brings a, a bond of unity between the two of us. And it's brought so much healing to our marriage. And I almost see prayer as fostering that same dynamic where the deep things of our hearts are revealed. And through that communication to God, it's like we hear each other praying and it creates like a real bond with one another. And because you're in prayer with one another, you're able to go in deeper places of discussion and get past all the surface stuff of like, how you doing brother? I'm like, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, praise the Lord. And then, and then walk off, but actually have real discussions and find deep places of healing as people bond to one another. And I think prayer provides a beautiful, just practical element of that too. Um, but then also it invites the spirit of Jesus. So if his heart is broken or happy, it's like we're sharing in his heart collectively. Mm-hmm. So there's this collective experience of the emotions and he is going to show up in environments. And when he comes, he's the refiner's fire that purifies. And so this is one of the reasons why I've never seen prayer set the context for a compromising type unity. It always purifies and we're always better at the other end of it. There's always just that purification process going on. And so yeah. those are just some of my entry level thoughts. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that makes us one, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness. So um, is the bond of unity. So yeah, it, it, if we're doing it right through the Holy Spirit, there's always going to be those dimensions. I actually think unity and holiness are synonyms or overlapping terms where, um, you know, speaking of unity, not, you know, just in the sense Jesus means it in John 17, like let them be one as we are one. Mm-hmm. Well, we can only be one like that in a context of holiness, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can agree, oh, let's, you know, go do this, let's go do that, let's go into business, let's, you know, and have a kind of a more of a superficial unity, but that deep-seated unity is really synonymous with holiness. Um, yeah, and, uh, when I so- read through John 17 and think of like the oneness, I see it as both individual and a corporate reality. Yeah, And so it's whole people assembling a whole house um, and coming together in that unity. And so the living stones are, it's crucial that like the Lord's bringing healing to the individuals, but the whole individual is going to assemble that whole house and the house will be healthy. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a, it's a sanctification of the individual just to get into some Wesleyan language here. Um, (laughs) Just 
but the sanct it's not only individual it's a it's a sanctification of the whole house and the 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 two are 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 you know integral to each other they're integrated you can't have one without the other um you know they're they're kind of happening simultaneously the lord is perfecting each piece but also perfecting the whole structure so yeah so let's just get into the weeds on 10 days in san antonio so how many maybe just pick one year to talk about um i mean we could talk about multiple years but like about how many churches have been involved and maybe talk through i know you've done it several different ways maybe talk through one or two of the ways that you've done it um and and what it's looked like um doing that with focusing on one year i might have to eject the one year thing okay okay yeah that's <laughs> but, fine <laughs> uh, I, I can give uh general overviews of uh i've the first year we didn't have many churches that bought into it we had a lot of people that would show up to the meetings of like yeah that's a good idea didn't really have a lot of people buying into it so us as the house of prayer we covered like five or six of the nights ourselves wow. so we were only at like four or five other places during the rest of the week and we had the worship leaders to be able to put that on but you know we did the 10 days um and then we had a day retreat at another church that was going on that was bought into it but we hosted most of it and um, the next year after the first year uh, we had it in our heart to uh, have a 24-hour prayer tent where our city was founded at uh, san pedro springs park and so we had uh, we're making plans, but the, you know, no money, no budget, no. And so it's like, okay, tents are expensive and stuff. So how's this going to happen? We felt like it was the Lord. And uh, I remember one of the ladies in the steering committee ended up rebuking um, a few of the key leaders, you know, privately, you know, it was biblical, <laughs> but we, we were talking months leading up to it. We were talking about backup plans because we had no plan to get a tent or like money to fund the permit or anything. And uh, so we're like, well, why don't we just go back to how we did it the year before? And she had each of us individually on the phone and just rebuked us. She's like, there's no faith. And, you know, I could tell my husband right now and he could write a check and pray and, and uh, pay for the tent right now and pay for everything. And we can have this done, but I don't see any faith. Where's the faith? And we're not paying for it. We need faith and faith will bring it. And just like, like, oh, sorry. Yes, ma'am. And uh, repented. And within the week, we meet, money starts coming in from other sources, not her husband, to get the permit. So things get put in place. Here's this guy that Alan Parker meets. Of, oh, someone just gave me a tent to have revival meetings, but I got nowhere to put it. <laughs> and so everything just fell into place. And it was a beautiful thing. And the sound system sitting behind me now, this is our permanent place for the house of prayer. But uh, before we moved here, our sound system is just in storage. So it's like, well, we got a sound system we can hook up. Um, so we use that and everything just fell into place. And we did it with no budget, no big plan on how to make it. It just, after her rebuke, it just all fell into place. So maybe it Come all on. fell into place on her faith alone. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I hear you. But, you know, we got to be practical. We use the P word to dismiss faith sometimes. But uh, anyway, don't not dismissing the practical. So that was the second year. That was a lot of work uh, to have a 24-hour tent to keep it secure and to keep the prayer and the worship and things going just logistically. I was in charge of all the teams that managed the tent. 
and oversaw everything that happened in the tent. And so wow. that was a lot. And uh, to boot, like we, my wife and I were on a mission trip to St. Kitts Island and we left the day before Hurricane Maria was coming and we were there, we missed the first half of 10 days. And so we had to get all this in place and I'm gone, but it, it, it was a beautiful time. Um, and I enjoy the tent. I just, if you guys are thinking about the tent, just realize the work you're getting into and prepare ahead of time um, for the teams that you're gonna need in place and stuff, just on a practical note to bring the practical back. But um, honestly, like I enjoyed the tent and it has an element of beauty in it, of people coming into one place. But honestly, for me, this is just my personal take. I like the model of going to different places on different nights. We had different worship teams from different places in the tent. Um, but going into someone else's home and just encouraging them, like you do you, you don't try to emulate, you know, what you think that you're supposed to look like. You do you, you, we want the culture of the house to shine. We want to get to know you guys, you lead the prayer meeting. We're here to support you. Um, however you want. And there's just a different beauty that you get of the body of Christ when you go from place to place. And so when we had the tent, when we had, um, and since then we've had 10 or more ministries participating. And so now the challenge is like, oh man, who gets to host it this year? And to try to uh, honor folks that have been faithful from the beginning at the same time, like how do we wrap some new ministries in here? Um, and bring them up even to the leadership level with us as a part of the 10 days unity. So it's not like, hey, this team's just showing up at church and you're hosting their prayer meeting, but you get pulled into the, the unity of the leadership and you get input into how this is happening in the city. And so just staying faithful in that model the last uh, few years has continued to be a beautiful thing. And so we're really excited for this year. Um, my big caution for us as a city, um, and then you, you guys can, like whoever's listening can take this or leave it, is this is an election year. And I don't want to say we shouldn't pray for our leaders. We should pray for our leaders. But oftentimes our prayer meetings get so political that we begin working against the unity that we've been working for. And there's uh, some pastors I've been working with recently that me and them were like on opposite sides politically. And so trying to foster an environment that we all come and just set our eyes upon Jesus and yeah, pray for your leaders and pray for them in such a way that brings unity. And so these things are something that's got to be like known and guarded. Otherwise they just, again, turn into divisive times. And so that's something we've had to keep watch over in our city uh, specifically. Um, and particularly my antennas up because it is an election year. And right. uh, um, I don't want to say too much in, in regards to that, but we've had some prayer meetings where just my, my soul was grieved because it just went completely against the unity. And not that I necessarily even disagreed with the things that they were praying for, but it's like, man, my brother, who I love, I know is crawling in their skin right now. And uh, anyway, I don't know why I went down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, that's but, a... uh, it's, it's something I want to, uh, to guard, but it, it has been a beautiful thing this year where uh, we have more, more churches than we have days 
And um, one thing that we've noticed in the previous years is people will come to when it's their turn to host it. Like, oh, my mm-hmm. church is putting it on, so we'll go to 10 days on that night. And so we're really trying to forerun the idea of this isn't a string of 10 prayer meetings. This is 10 days of unified consecration. And so bringing the consecration word into the unified prayer of what 10 days is to call us to fast together, at least maybe shut off the TV and social media a little bit together and focus on the Lord together during those times individually and then come for the corporate times of prayer. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to see more participation um, from some of the other churches. But uh, anyway. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to zero in on what you said about politics, because I think that's such a key, um, a key word for us. I think as the church in America, we have a really bad habit of getting fixated on um, whatever's on TV, whatever's in the media. And 10 days, obviously, from the place of prayer, let me just put it this way, from the place of prayer, we can have far more impact on things happening in earth on the earth including elections and everything else than we can from any other posture any other position um you know so if you're yeah if you're concerned about the direction of the nation it would it would um make sense that you go to the place of prayer but that doesn't necessarily mean um (laughs) getting all of our prayers focused on politics but really, it means coming into agreement with a higher governmental order, right? Yeah, so yeah. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, that's a lot of authority. Now, can I begin to behold Jesus, not behold um, Democrats and Republicans, not behold Trump, not behold Obama, but behold Jesus sitting on a throne and then come near to him and then begin to hear what's on his heart, have our hearts connected. And then that, that place where our desires are interacting with his, and then within the room that's happening, we're all beholding the ascended one. Our hearts are getting knit together with his, and then we can begin to pray the things that are on his heart Mm -hmm. um, and agree with our brothers versus if we just, Hey, yeah, we all know what God wants to do. He wants so-and-so to get elected. Well, let's just pray that it's like, well, there's a place for praying for someone to get elected or not, you know, like that's fine. It's just a lower level experience. Um, And with the dynamics you're talking about, like that's really what we're looking for in 10 days is something that's going to touch something eternal um, and um, something in the heavenlies that then is going to also impact what what's happening on the earth. I think as we look around our nation, there, there is not a political solution to many of the problems that we're facing right now. We're, we're in too deep. And if we're not serious about, if, if we, if, I think if we believe there is a political solution, we're deluded. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get something more from Jesus. You know, we need him to intervene in an exceptional way. And, and I, I just, it's not that it's wrong to pray about politics. In fact, we're enjoined to pray for our leaders but I think what you're saying is super important. It's got to be more. That's just what's what's so on my heart. Um, it's not enough to just um, get so-and-so elected into office. It's got to be more. Yeah, um, yeah. That's what God's looking for. Yeah, I believe so. I was 
a newerish believer about 2011, and uh, I felt the Lord speak to me, your next king's going to be like a Josiah. And so I turn and read about Josiah as a new believer, and he's a good king, instituted reforms that everyone liked, and, and these things. I'm like, oh, great. Um, and so I was continually like looking forward towards a president that's going to come and, you know, be a good king and bring healing to the land. Um, but then as a new believer, you know, I'm going through the Bible and I read Jeremiah for the first time and knowing this word, that phrase at the beginning of the book, um, that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah just hit me. And I began to realize he wasn't so much prophesying the king that's going to come, but the posture of the people that is going to be set at ease because they think they have, they may have their guy or may not have their guy in office that's legislating the reforms that they want and mistaking political reform for actually, for mistaking political reform for God's hand of revival upon the nation. Hmm. And Jeremiah's word was released to a people who, you know, King Josiah even, and I'm not comparing Trump to Josiah, but jo King Josiah heard the law. And when he heard the law, he wept and he tore his clothes. And I believe he read it in front of the people, trying to give them the opportunity for the same type response. But it just went in one ear and out the other. They heard it. There was no weeping. There was no rending of the garment. There was just like, great, we have this guy that's going to change all this stuff for us. And you know, just constant peace and safety in the land. The Lord won't destroy our country because, you know, we have the temple and we have a covenant with the Lord. And Jeremiah was sent into that political environment. So you haven't turned to me with a whole heart yet. And so I think before even we make all this political stuff and focus our political prayers, it's like, where is our trust and in these things lying and like you said like we need to put jesus back on his throne lift his mountain high above all the other mountains like it talks about in isaiah 2 let his law come forth from zion the word of the lord from jerusalem and then that's going to bring healing to the land where um our weapons of war are hammered into weapons of peace and blessing mm, yeah yeah i've been really uh, meditating on that passage that's repeated that refrain in jeremiah of um, you heal the wound of my people, um, as if it were not significant, you know, yeah. you treat it, treat it like it. And I just, I feel like that's where we're at as a globe, as a nation, we've got these significant wounds and a lot of the proposals are treating it, you know, it, it's, it's a superficial, the superficial healing. Mm -hmm. uh, we need more. Tell me about how you guys experience, because you know, and part of 10 days is this part, this element of humbling ourselves, of um, mourning, humility, lamentation, just talking about Jeremiah makes me think of those themes. Um, how do you guys experience that realm of just going low before the Lord in San Antonio? That's a, a, a difficult one. I know you've shared your own difficulties, especially in the beginning days of 10 days of uh, really having folks buy into the, the morning message. Um, we're, we've been going about it with kind of the same attitude of establishing 10 days as a general thing of just being faithful, don't quit and keep, keep building. 
just little bits and and taking little bits in that areas in, in those areas it's not a popular thing um and it, especially at the beginning a lot of the team was very uh not resistant to it actively but passively resistant to it to where it would just it wouldn't happen this is like the story of my life david yeah Makes me and, happy, uh, kind of. <laughs> last 10 days was the first 10 days that we had a consensus of actually we think that we're supposed to sit with the Lord and mourn and so intentional times of silence um, has been really our first step to give people the opportunity to be confronted with how they handle silence that's one of the huge tests of the believer there's nothing that exposes a secret life of prayer or a secret life of nothingness and shallowness is when you're exposed to silence like how do you handle silence do you know what to do with it um and so that's where we've started is just in those moments of silence uh, the last 10 days uh, we had one night where we specifically went through meditation highlighted some of the morning aspects and keeping on individual repentance and seeing the role that individual repentance has in shifting the nations, right? Chronicles, if my people humble themselves. Um, and so being a part of that, my people who humble themselves. And, you know, it, when it comes to end times, we always highlight the days of Noah. Um, there's not many people I've heard that highlight, you know, it'll also be like the days of Lot. Well, Lot was surrounded by immorality and he was unmoved by it. Mm. And I believe part of the protection that the church walks in through the end times as things get more turbulent is our ability to mourn and grieve and weep over the sins and the abominations in our midst. And Ezekiel, it talks about, you know, the judgment of the Lord beginning in the temple, but before it goes out to the temple, he says, wait, put a mark on all my servants who sigh and groan over the abominations committed in its midst. And so our ability to partner with the Lord in mourning even has an element of a safeguard and being that ark of safety um, with us and not living like Lot where it's like, yeah, we might not be doing that, but we're not moved by that either. Right, right. Wow, that's a great insight. Well, share with me, just a couple stories. Um, love to hear just two or three testimonies. How has how have you witnessed personally ten days just increasing the level of unity among ministries in the cities in the city? What are some specific? I'm just gonna throw a few things at you. What are some specific answers to prayer where you guys have seen where you're like, whoa, God just heard us. So maybe on those those two fronts, like specific answers to prayer and just ways you've seen it increase the unity in the city? Um, I think the specific answer to prayer was really just the tent um, would, would be a good one where it's just like, man, we have no plan. We don't know what to do. And we can't point back to the sequence of events of like, yeah, we planned that. And this is how it came about. It was just like, <laughs> bam, it, it happened. And so um, I think the other part of the answer to prayer is just, being seen in the continual growth of the unity as we just stay faithful with the rhythm of unified consecration and prayer. Um, and it's fostered relationships, you know, within the city that have kept going for the first couple of years. Um, 
well, for the first year, it was cool to see everyone. The second year, it was cool to see everyone again. But then you have kind of this history with each other of like, hey, I know you. It's good to be back here again. And then from that, it kind of grew into relationships that stayed constant throughout the year instead of like, hey, it's 10 days time again. Want to sign up? It created a bigger context for us to just, again, stay in touch, work together, bring other people into unity. One of my favorite stories was from this last 10 days. Um, there was a church that was leaving their uh, Pentecostal denomination because they would have uh churches within their denomination just blocks from each other in this section downtown no one's talking to each other it's filled with all kinds of gossip and backbiting and competition and they're just grieved by this and so they're personally wrestling with the call to come out from underneath the denomination but how do they you know maintain a covering for an authority structure and so it was within this season of them wrestling over that that the lord um crossed our paths and my son started playing baseball with their son and we started talking and they're pastors and they're holy ghost pastor people and we're holy ghost pastor people and so we'd have awesome prayer times at the baseball games and uh, just started talking about 10 days and invited them to be uh, a part of the 10 days and uh, their african-american community and so they're going around and with the 10 days initially with us and seeing like how it's being done and they began to get insecure of like oh no we don't we don't worship like that like are we gonna freak everyone out and i just continued to assure them like no please you be you we need you guys so bad like you're invited into this because we need you desperately like it shouldn't all look like this um this certain way because you know sometimes like our culture was like we think worship and praise is just you know like i just want to soak <laughs> and they're like we want to chop the devil's head off and uh <laughs> <laughs> so anyway they were the last night of the last 10 days and it was a beautiful time of just the lord revealing to them and other leaders coming around them to just say hey you're covered like in this unity of love you have your covering you're not out from underneath covering and we support you in this transition and it's pulled them up into greater relationships and we've just become better and better friends with them um, as the last couple of years have gone by and it's just been such a blessing to have them not knowing how to navigate this season of transition being pulled into a unity within the city that they didn't even know existed because they're just exacerbated from the own um, dysfunction within their own denomination and to come into such a, a beautiful expression of unity that uh, San Antonio is beginning to set and 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 to grow in has been a fun fun story to watch and uh, the pastor um his wife is coming alongside me this year to uh manage 10 days in the city for us and hopefully take the lead and be the 10 days coordinator for san antonio for us um beginning next year and uh, so we're just so thrilled to have them on board but that's that was one of my favorite times and i'm just like go for it and that night was just an explosion of so much good stuff. And after they asked me, they're like, was that okay? I'm like, yeah, you guys want the last night next year? <laughs> and so we already got that one booked uh, for them. But uh, this year, what is on the radar for doing, di doing something different is because of the spirit of the unified consecration is on day 11, we wanna come together at a place and share a meal and debrief awesome the last 10 days 
um, not just as the leadership team, but open it up to those who uh, um, participated with it as well and just open it up to all and um, just hear each other's perspectives. But I just, I love the bond of unity that is just continuing to grow and it just keeps adding more and more and more. And so the, uh, the cry of my heart from that first Denver summit of like, man, how do I get that in the city? Didn't happen the first year didn't really happen it, it to a greater degree the second year but still my soul's not satisfied but it's been just staying faithful in it and seeing that grow and so now my soul's satisfied and seeing the growth that has happened but then it's also satisfied in the vision of like what's to come i'm so delighted in in, in these things mm. i i just see it as we're helping by doing these things in a city context like our current expression of the church let's just say of the local church i don't believe it's biblical mm. because biblically you have the church that's understood to be local by city and region mm. um, and that's the way the bible talks about the churches you know every time it talks about the churches and um so i believe that's the church god sees and so what we're doing through things like this and through things like America Praise, these united efforts, is we're, we're taking this invisible reality that God sees and we're starting to make it visible. And we're giving people an opportunity to be gathered to that. There's like a, because there's a longing in people's hearts for that that's from the Lord. It's from the Holy Spirit, um, you know, to see that version of the church, the citywide church or the regional church. Um, and it's not that local church, it's not that what we call local church, you know, our, our local congregations is bad. Obviously, that's a totally necessary expression. It's just that we were never meant to be disconnected. Yeah. We're intended to be together and doing things like this is knitting us back in, you know, into that connection, into those relationships and, and, and laying a groundwork for, I believe, you know, a greater fulfillment of Jesus prayer than we've seen to this point. Yeah. And uh, the, the unity and the love, it's a beautiful aspect of it, but uh, ultimately it's forming that governmental region where the key city fathers and leaders are in such unity and love for one another in relationship that it sets the church up into her rightful governmental role um, to even begin to engage the state, to engage the church in a way that actually does bring healing and restoration to the land. And so I think one of the reasons that uh, we've uh, seen just such a rise in immorality in our nation and just seen our nation go to the point where our last president said we're no longer a Christian nation um, has been because the church is so like splintered. And so we've, we've forfeited our government, our governmental seat as the church and cities and regions so that we could have um, our own buildings. And, you know, our own buildings aren't, aren't, uh, aren't necessarily bad, but um, in the beginning days of 10 days, I used to go after a lot of the church planners in the city. If I found out a new pastor was in the city, I would go and meet him and try to pull him into the city unity and the rhythms of some of these things that are are established in San Antonio and get him to meet some of my other pastor friends. And uh, I've been turned down like time and time again. It's just not a, 
and, and there's exceptions, of course. I mean, there's church planters that are hungry for it, but I have honestly, I haven't found it in San Antonio. And I was meeting with one about three years ago, and these are his words. You know, I know it's not right, but we're just navel gazers. And so we're not going to jump on board with anything like that right now. I'm not saying that's right, but again, this is just this, it's what we know. This is where we're content, and we're not going to. We're not going to break out of that. And so um, that's been an area where I've really been strongly just focused on prayer and waiting on the Lord to engage uh, that community again of how do we get the church planners to come out from, you know, their own, again, their words, their own navel gazing and come into this unity. Because I think a lot of this established city fathers see it and places um, where you have such a big city, like we've got to come together. And it begins with falling in love. But as we come together and unify, the church gets her governmental voice back to begin to establish the kingdom on earth. Yeah, I, I've had that same experience with church planners. And I think part of it is it's almost like when you're church planning, it's almost like you're having a, a new baby, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as dads, you know, we can both relate that those early stages you know, it's just so intense. It's, it's hard to, you know, think beyond the day. It's like, oh, I didn't sleep last night um, <laughs> or whatever. Um, but I think, um, you know, ultimately getting those fathers and mothers in place at a city level, this is going to be something as we see this mature expression, that's actually going to undergird and really help a lot of these church plants you know, to have these new and vibrant life-giving communities starting that are actually connected to what God's doing in the city, like right out of the gate, not, not you know, starting off independently, but uh, really integrated um, yeah. and coming alongside. That's, that's, I think that's a reality that we can lean into. And um, I think that'll, that'll be, I think we'll see that happen. I think we already are seeing that happen in certain places. Um, where there's a more mature, united expression of the church. Yeah, we're seeing that here. And so we're long in the pull in, you know, those smaller churches, the church planners and stuff. And um, it, it's, that's been a value of mine um, because when we first moved to the city, uh, there was a pastor who was on his way out that had had a thousand member plus congregation in the city, was well known, um, worked with a lot of leaders in the city uh, made the call several years ago of hey we should be a house of prayer and so they started transforming their church into a house of prayer and it began dwindling away so the point when we moved when we moved to san antonio and met up with them for the first time they were in a little thousand square foot house downtown and the prayer room and the sanctuary was just this little like maybe a 20 foot by 20 foot room probably smaller than that Wow. Where just a handful of people were gathered to prayer, uh, gathered to pray, um, but he had been in the city for several decades. So it's not like it, these things happened suddenly. It was just over time for him, and then he was uh, moving out of the city. But something he said before they had closed down their house of prayer was that uh, San Antonio, specifically because of the family uh, orientation and uh, just the community environment that we have here is one of the hardest places to plant a new ministry and it actually succeed and you be successful in the long run. 
and he said the number one greatest thing that you can do as a ministry planter or a church planter is unify with other leaders in the city and your survival depends on that. Mm. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be a flash in the pan. And uh, that had always just stuck with me because we moved down initially um, to be a part of a church plant um, that uh, I honor the folks that we were with, but um, it didn't really go anywhere. It didn't grow beyond just a couple families. Um, we never filled out um, really our 1,200 square foot you know, place that we were renting and it just, it, it never really did anything. And I remember hearing that while I'm working in this church plant and uh, having um, discussions with the pastor and relaying this thing, like, Hey, here's what I learned from this other pastor. What do you think about that? And it's like, well, I don't know about that. And, but there, there was never a pressing in to get to know other pastors in unity. It was always like, you know, well, this is my thing. And, and I don't think the Lord's blessing that this is my thing anymore. And it's time to, to come together. Well, David, thanks so much for um, making the time to have this conversation today. I just uh, admire what you all are doing there in San Antonio. Um, you know, I know people that you work with, like Alan Parker, other key leaders in the city have um, just really uh, labored with you to see this happen. And uh, so encouraging just to hear how God has been building and increasing something um, year after year. Can you just pray, um, pray for people who might be listening, um, a blessing and, and just, um, yeah, that people be able to pick up and, and just run um, on some of these things that you've been uncovering, you know, by, uh, <laughs> by labor that they'd be able to just pick up on it and uh, receive it from you and, and take it even further. Cool. Lord, I love you. You're beautiful. Just thank you for what you're doing in my city. And I just ask you for grace to see over my friends who are doing this in their own cities. For the leaders that are coming together to unify, to have rhythms of established prayer in their city, just ask you for grace, for vision. Let people see, Father, open their eyes to see small budding fruit, to tenderly care for the shoots that are coming out of the ground and have patience like the farmer who patiently waits for his crop to bear fruit to maturity, Father. We thank you for growing these things in our city. And I thank you that even the process of gardening with you is fun. And so we just set our hearts to enjoy the process. I thank you for opening the eyes and just releasing vision over my friends to see again, the small budding fruit, let them see with eternal perspective, like what are their labors gonna build in 10 years and 20 years? Father, what are the things that are going to carry reward and weight when we're before our face or before your face in the throne room? Lord, we love you so much. You're beautiful, amen. Amen, thanks so much, David. Yes, sir, love you, my man. Love you too.